Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 159 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at our best and worst charging experiences. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap, the free-to-download app that helps EV drivers search, plan, and pay for their charging. We'll hear more about ZapMap and ZapPay a little later on in the show. Before we start, I wanted to thank some new patron members who joined recently. A big hello to Ed Green, Peter Lawrence, Gary Day, Kevin, and Michael Edwards, who've all joined the other patron members of the podcast. Many thanks for your support. If you've still not received your ZapMap premium codes, message me through the Patreon app and I'll sort that out for you immediately. Our main topic of discussion today is charging. Not anything specific about charging, but a general look at the whole charging experience. I've had any number of guests on here who worked for uh, one or more of the charging networks. Almost without exception, they say something along the lines of, we're putting charges in as fast as we can, and we're trying to make it as positive a charging experience as possible. So I wanted to test that thesis. I asked every guest who was on the podcast this season the same question at the end of the interview session. What's your best and worst charging experience? Everyone gave me an answer. Not all of them were comfortable stating which network they were discussing, which is absolutely fine. But I thought it would be interesting to listen to what's been said and see if we can find some specific patterns, both positive and negative. So I'll start. My best charging experience was at the GridServe hub in Rugby, not long after it opened. I was in the Kia Soul, I was driving at the time, and I rocked up to one of the 12 chargers that was available and plugged in. The screen said, swipe your card, which I did, and it hummed and hawed for about 10 seconds, and then the charge started. It went right into full-on charge mode. I got eh, about 70, 75 uh, kilowatt charge speed, which was phenomenal on the Kia Soul, which tops out at 80 kilowatts. I went in to grab a coffee, and by the time I came out, I was up to 80% state of charge. So I hit the stop charge button, it stopped immediately, and I was away. This was absolutely seamless, stress-free, and as it should be which is not always the case. My worst charging experience was on a return journey from my parents. It was during one of the fuel shortages we had uh, about 18 months ago. I had planned to stop near Leicester, so I identified an Instavolt charger I could use, but when I got there, it was busy. Both of the units were being used, and both cars were at a very low state of charge and would be there for a while. So I went to my Plan B charger. You do have a Plan B, right? which was a dual Instavolt charger about five miles away. But this was located on the footprint of a petrol station, and there were queues to get into the petrol station, which meant it physically took me 15 minutes in a queue to actually get onto the site. I couldn't jump the queue because the access road was like a multi-storey car park off-ramp, and it was single lane only. When I did finally get there, I saw that both chargers were, were in use, and there were three other cars waiting. By now, I was down to my last 8 or 10 miles of charge. I did a quick look on ZapMap and saw that there was an Instavolt at a McDonald's around 8 miles away. This would be tight, and if it didn't work, I would be stuck. 
but nothing ventured, nothing gained. I went for it, hypermiled, used regen, and arrived with about two miles on the gong. Luckily, this unit was available, and I was able to charge. But it wasn't a pleasant situation, and I was genuinely getting nervous about running out of charge. So what would have helped me? Well, more units at every location. Well, what about some of the guests from this season? Tommy Ristamaki, the CEO of Kempower, the charger manufacturer, told me, I, I think the worst charging experience could be limited that you are driving with a trailer with my old Tesla Model 3, battery completely empty, reaching a charger and seeing that there is a BMW i3 standing there and it was still standing after two hours there. And it was a just a standalone charger in the middle of nowhere, and and and, and you have a trailer in the back. You you, you don't have much. Let's uh, <laughs> say, and you are already very tired because you're moving your. I was moving then to Lahti actually to, to when when I started Kempalo, and it was different times in Finland as well. You had a lot of these distant places. You had only standalone chargers, fifty kilowatt available, and trying to fit there with a trailer. And and my rental trailer was the kind of you cannot take out from the car because there is no front wheel. So you have no other choice than try to fit your car with a trailer somewhere. And it, and it, uh, I think that's one of the worst. I, I think it's also this un, uh, not working charters and being nervous that you you don't reach the next one. But I think that was the worst in the middle of the night. Very tired <laughs> and frustrated. Wow! And you gotta find the driver of the BMW that to, to actually tell them that could you, of course, maybe move your car after a few hours. <laughs> and I know how long the car already was there. So yeah, yeah, that's probably the worst. And the best in the general, it's these saves that you make it. Uh, I think I think somewhere, uh, especially in the in the early days when when you are. Uh, let's say again similar situation, but then you have working charges and and, and you are like a, going very low on your state of charge and and reaching the charges and they work perfectly. I think there's multiple times, and especially nowadays, I think they are just the situation is so much better in in just three years. Probably. Now, obviously, you have sort of a, a dilemma that not many other people have, which is that you drive a Tesla, the Tesla supercharging network is really, really good. You've got lots of units, lots of locations, plug and charge, but you... Yeah, then, then you have uh, adapters for both, CCS, Chademo. If Chademo is available, you can switch the adapter, which not will not be with the new one, but that's... Uh, that hopefully has a higher charging speed than the old old one. But you've also got the the added twist, which is you're the CEO of a company that makes chargers that are not specifically for Tesla. So when you go out and you're deciding where to charge, are you looking for Tesla superchargers or are you looking for CPOs that run Kempower units? I normally want to go with, with our own units. That's also wanting to see that everything works. This is part of the part of the journey. Yeah. But some of the, and the, and the second choice normally is a supercharger because that's convenient with Teslas. Okay. That's uh, and and you get a decent charge speed with even with the old Model S. Even with the old Model S, excellent. Which has a really low battery voltage, so yeah. many of the chargers have a lot of limitations with that. We also spoke with Jill Knoll from Electrics earlier this season. She told us about a rather harrowing experience with her worst charging stop. I was on a trip from Chester down to the south coast of England 
So um, a pretty decent trek, uh, stopped charge on the way down, no problem at all, had a beautiful charging experience. Uh, I think it was Instavolt, absolutely fine, cup of coffee, charge, perfect, on my way again. It was actually uh, the next day when I plugged into charge um, near my meeting place. And um, and there was no problem with the the time it took to charge or the charging experience per se, but it was my user error that got me into trouble, actually, um, or my, uh, yes, my lack of charging etiquette. So this is a bit of a confession, actually, Gary. And it's, it was a, a very, very uh, strong reminder to me that as an electric car driver, if I plug into charge, then I need to remember to unplug and move the car to let somebody else um, use that charger. So what had happened, I'd plugged in first thing in the morning, I'd gone to my meeting with the full intention of excusing myself at a break to go back out, unplug the car, move it. I forgot. So I'm fully at fault. So I got back to the car sort of two hours later and I had the most irate note on my windscreen. Um, in fact, it was so irate that, um, yes, I had, I've had to hide the note. In fact, I think I've disposed of it. I had to hide it from my children because there is no way I'd want them uh, reading that kind of language. So whilst it was shocking and it was a little bit upsetting because it, the language used was very extreme, it was a very, very timely reminder to me that I just need to remember to move off the charger. So I've done it once and I will never do it again. Um, mm -hmm. So that was my worst charging experience. Um, my best charging experience, actually that same trip on the way back um, up towards Chester, totally fortuitously, the uh, the Oxford Energy Super Hub um, had just opened sort of two mm -hmm. days previously. So I stopped there, plugged into charge at the Fastned um, sort of ultra amazing, rapid, super quick charger. And, it, you know, it was just phenomenal. Um, and I was so busy sort of marveling in the whole experience that I was disappointed when it was time to, uh, to drive off back home again, because I felt that I hadn't just, I hadn't been there long enough. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so that was the best, uh, that was the best charging experience for me. And I also at that point bumped into, um, one of the, uh, the founders of Pivot Power as well. And of course the, uh, the, the energy storage set up there, um, is, uh, is thanks to Pivot Power. So had a chat with them, which really was the highlight, I think, of, of that charging experience as well. Alongside Jill, we had John Burdekin on the show to talk about salary sacrifice. His problem was payment apps. I'll give you my worst first. Uh, I was on holiday with my wife down in the New Forest, driving around, and I have two electric vehicles. And at the time, I was driving the E-Nero, the Kia E-Nero, which I still have, lovely mm -hmm. car. And we were going, uh, we were driving around in the New Forest, around around the Ringwood area, and we, we decided to stop off for some lunch. And I didn't need a charge, but I thought... I'll take the opportunity to, as we're stopping for an hour, I'll, I'll take some charge. And I noticed in a Waitrose car park, I noticed, so I won't name the brand, but I noticed some charge points. I thought, oh, we'll take advantage of those. I turned up to them and it was one of the brands that you have to download an app and subscribe to rather than contactless and subscription free, which frustrated me because I have no patience for that whatsoever mm -hmm. in, in, in these current stages. So I had to download their app and, and the app came through on my phone in Norwegian 
I'm just like, okay, <laughs> I don't really understand this. My my Norwegian is not good. Um, in, in the end, I, I I kind of had to phone them up, and they told me how to translate it and sort of which button to press and get it in there. Um, I then managed to get charging after about fifteen to twenty minutes. Went off to have some lunch, and then came back again. Tried to stop the charge so I could so we could get on our way, and it wouldn't recognise the bank card that it had already set the charge up with, which frustrated me again. So I had to phone up the customer service department number on the side of the charger um, and get them to release me remotely from there. So I had a bit of a rant on about on LinkedIn about that. It shouldn't be as hard as that. It really shouldn't. Um, my best charging experience, um, I kind of probably had to be the first charge I did in my Kia EV6, which is my second uh, electric vehicle. And it's the first time I realized the power of 800 volt technology on, I, I can't remember whether I was on Instavolt or Osprey. I think I was on an Osprey charger in Banbury. Contactless, subscription free, easy as it should be. And I noticed how quick this vehicle was charging. To the point, being a sad EV nerd that I am, um, I actually timed it to see how many how many seconds it took to get each mile in. And it was adding a mile every eight seconds because of the speed of charge. Um, so that was my best charging experience. It was easy and quick. And if it was the Osprey at Banbury, it would have been one of the ChemPower Chem chargers? Power, Chem, one of the ChemPower load balancing ones, yeah. So I've tended to I've, I'm a huge fan of Instavolt, but I've kind of at Banbury, I've sacked them off for for, Inst, for 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 Osprey about half a mile down the road just because they're quicker and, and my car can take a quicker charge. Um, so uh, Ban, Banbury is, uh, has a wealth of a wealth of charging riches um, with with the sixteen Instavolt chargers and then the Bam- and then the Osprey ones down the road. So uh, yeah, but I I I'm a huge fan of Osprey and Instavolt. I think they're fantastic and uh, um, industry leading in my view. John's comment about paying via an app to use one specific unnamed network made me think about Zap Map, our sponsor. A few years ago, Zap Map heard a message which was coming loud and clear from EV drivers across the country. That message was, "Make paying for charging." simple. So ZapPay was launched with a mission to sign up all the key networks across the UK. The payment service is a simple way to pay for electric car charging across networks from within the ZapMap app. As a single app payment system, ZapPay avoids the hassle of using multiple apps across different networks. It also means that EV drivers can search, plan and pay for charging all within one app. If you use ZapPay, you'll also be able to view your charging history, receive live status updates while away from your vehicle, and download receipts. Growing high-speed network FastNed is the latest to go live on ZapPay. It's the seventh charging network to come online with ZapPay following Osprey Charging, ESB Energy, Chargey, GDPoint, Mer, and MFG EV Power. Even better, you can now use Apple Pay on all seven ZapPay networks. This means that over 4,000 charging devices across the UK are currently ZapPay and Apple Pay enabled, with Google Pay coming soon. As well as being able to search for charge points, plan longer journeys, and share updates with other EV drivers, using ZapPay means you can pay quickly and easily for EV charging on all seven networks up and down the UK. Expect further announcements and completed integrations with ZapPay in the coming weeks and months. Connected Curb, Charge My Street and Alpha Power are next to go live with ZapPay in early 2023, with more networks lined up for the months beyond. I mean, paying for a charge, I know, right? We all accept that that's a thing. 
But EV conversion specialist Richard Morgan from Electric Classic Cars remembers a time when that didn't happen for him. Um, I'd say my best charging experience is any charger that's free. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's, it's a simple one. I, I don't think that in all the decades of driving petrol cars, I ever got to use a, a free petrol pump. But obviously with um, chargers, there's, you know, still a number of um, places where you can just charge it for free, which is fantastic. So I'd say my best charging experience is any free charger. Now, my worst charging experience. Hmm. See, I've never had too much problems with charging. Um, you know, there's always horror stories that, you know, the anti-EV guys always like to hang off uh, and, you know, repeat of, you know, journalists that have never used an electric car before going straight out and trying to go John Groats to Land's End and running out of charge and finding a charge doesn't work. Um, and I'm not saying that is not the case. There, there is the odd charger that I come across that doesn't work, but it's never, um, it, it's never uh, impacted my journey that much. You know, I just either use the one next to it or, or carry on to the next charger. So I can't think of an instance where I've been, you know, um, you know, put out put out by a charger not working. So, uh, yeah, it's a difficult one. I, I can't think of the worst charging experience because essentially I don't think I've had one yet. Friend of the podcast and repeat guest Jonathan Porterfield had this to say about his best and worst charging experiences. Right. Best charging experience has got to be Instavolt. Um, I only discovered them about two years ago when I went down down south mm. to Birmingham and went to an Instavolt. And oh my word, what a pleasure to use. Your debit card, no faffing around with an app, no getting an RFID card, just your debit card. And it was just so easy. Mm. Um, so yeah, Instavolt followed by Offspray, they were a similar sort of setup, but that's been my best charging experience of late. The worst for everything they've done well in Scotland has been Charge Place Scotland. Uh, years ago, um, I went to a place uh, called Kinross, and just behind the Sainsbury's, there was two rapids and three fast chargers. I turned up there, I think it was about one o'clock in no, was it one o'clock in the morning? Yes, I think it was. And the rapid wasn't working. So tried everything, tried the reset and everything. So I rang the helpline and spoke to the girl and she went on her system and cut a long story short, she couldn't tell the difference between a fast charger and a rapid. <gasps> and that was just it was just laughable. It really was. And I I complained in the heaviest possible terms and I had a conference call with the higher-ups at Charles Place Scotland. Bear in mind, things have changed drastically in the recent years, but this mm -hmm. was four or five years ago. Had this conference call and they were looking at all the logs and they said, well, Mr. Porterfield, we saw that you used one of our charges and it was operating correctly. I said, yes, I used a fast. Well, what's the problem? I said, I missed my ferry. Well, you managed to use a charger, yeah, but I couldn't. It's not as fast as a rapid, yeah, but you got on a charger, and he just couldn't understand 
my dilemma that seven kilowatts is not quite as good as 50 kilowatts when I had a ferry to catch. And I missed my ferry and I had to stay in a hotel overnight to get the next ferry the next day. It was that lack of perception as to what my issue was that was my worst experience. Time spent at a charger and how it can cause issues is something that Mike Strahlman from Just Park was also subject to. He told us about one of the main issues he has with charging. So, of course, you'll hear from me that my best charging experiences have been at home, <laughs> naturally, given, you know, given I'm, I'm blessed to have a driveway and I'm blessed to have a device that works. Um, and so, you know, I can depend on that. And really, you know, the majority of my life with my, you know, I have three children under the age of five, we live in a 10 mile radius. So we can really depend on the home charging ecosystem for, for, for what we need. Um, the most challenging experience I've had, I have to say, I'm not going to quote the provider or the location necessarily, but has been when taking a long trip and pulling up to the pulling up to the the, the charging ports and finding them broken and queuing queuing for the one that's still there. And I will go even further to say that the 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 specific experience which has caused me the most um, grief is the folks who are sitting on the rapid chargers waiting for the last 20% to fill up. And that's about knowledge of the ecosystem. And so, you know, look, I, I get it. Um, if it was my first time using a public charger, I wouldn't understand that the last 20% can be charged just as fast on a seven kilowatt as it can on a rapid 50 kilowatt. But it just adds to waiting time. And, you know, when you've got three kids screaming in the back, that can be quite taxing as a parent, but also as a driver in the ecosystem. This whole charging above 80% and waiting for the last 20%, just it really gets me. And I think that the the default for all public charging, rapid charging, should be that it cuts off automatically at 80%. Now, if you want to override that and get more, I mean, you know, somebody driving around in a 24 kilowatt hour Nissan Leaf is going to need 100% every time because they've only got, you know, 50 or 60 mile range. You can override it, but I think the default should be... 80% and then it cuts off. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's really interesting. I think what it speaks to is driving the right behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm all for that. So I, I don't know how the mechanism would work. You know, for example, you override it and you pay a premium for, you know, there, there, there are ways to manage that. And I'm sure as you know, smarter minds than, than my, my own can come up with that. Um, I like what you're proposing because it is another way to inspire and teach the behavioral aspects that isn't dependent on you being an expert on battery technology and charging technology to engage with. Yeah. Um, if something like that's deployed, it needs to be deployed with the appropriate educational package and communication around it. And if you, uh, if you sort of attack it from both sides, you should hopefully see a behavioral change pretty quickly. I think so. I mean, I've spoken to a number of uh, charge point operators and indeed people who make charges themselves. And they've all said, oh yeah, we can do this. You know, the software yeah. allows us to do this. It's not a problem. It will come in the future. Queuing and the impact of queuing was something that Edmund King, president of the AA, encountered, as he told us. Well, I, I would say my best charging experience, actually, and it, it's probably no great surprise if came at Gridsterve and it came in Norwich. And now Norwich, um, the, there's reasons for me to be cheerful there. I'm a Norwich City fan, so I, I follow Norwich City. So having this 
state-of-the-art grid serve hub of chargers not that far from Carrot Road was, was wonderful. So I was very pleased with that. And I went to the opening of the Norwich uh, grid serve depot and turned up in a Porsche Taycan and plugged it in. And the best experience was the look on the EV guru's face when the charging got up to 261 kilowatts. He, he was so excited. He was dancing in the street. And that, for me, was just the best experience, that that car can charge so quickly. And that technology is out there. So that's certainly my best experience. Um, the worst experience was probably on the EV rally of Scotland a couple of years ago. And I think it's known as the other pool incident. And on the, this rally, <coughs> all the cars and the vans actually turned up to, I think it was a co-op car park at other pool. And there were about two charges there. <laughs> And there was a queue of something like 15 or 20 vehicles. And actually, it wasn't the worst experience for me, but I felt for this local who was in a Nissan Leaf, who didn't have enough charge to get home. And in normal circumstances, he would turn up at Alapool. There would be no one there. He would charge his little Leaf and he'd get home. I think he had a potential wait of about two and a half, three hours or, or more because of the EV rally. Thank, thankfully, Dean and I, and Dean with this little laminated map of charge points, had thought ahead, and we didn't actually need to charge at other pools. So we beat the system, went on somewhere else and charged up. So what, what could have been disaster, actually, because of our forward thinking, wasn't such a disaster. But it, but it does show that in some areas, you know, you do need more charge points. Although having said that, an EV rally turning up in other pool wouldn't happen every day of the week. It's a bit of an outlier, really, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed. You might remember Tim Evans from 3TI, the company installing those innovative solar-powered container-based workplace charging solutions. Well, I asked him about his best and worst experiences. No prizes for guessing what he chose as his best. Well, I, I drive, let me start by saying I drive an EV6, which is actually a fabulous car. I'm not on commission from Kia, but they are excellent, and we have three of them in the company. Um, my best experience, I have to say, it was from one of our Papilio units. Um not least because it was completely free, um, but it is it is uh, as simple as it possibly can be. Turn up, plug it in, walk away. People ask me how long it takes to charge my car, and I say um, a minute. And they look at me rather blankly and say, how do you do it that fast? I say, well, I turn up, I get out and plug the car in, and that's 30 seconds. I go off and do some work somewhere for a couple of three hours, come back and unplug it, and that's another 30 seconds. So it takes me a minute to charge my car. Um, that is, that is, uh, you know, I'm biased. Obviously, that's our product. It works extremely well. Um, disaster wise, there are plenty and too numerous to mention it, I think. Um, which is actually part of the problem. But uh, probably the, the worst experience was the very first day I had an electric vehicle and wasn't used to the, the, the culture and the mindset 
and got down to something like 70 miles on the clock and suddenly thought, crikey, I need to charge, which of course now I know quite comfortably you don't have to at all. And I then shot off to a, a motorway service station to find three charge points that weren't working at all. Uh, looked on my app to see where the next one was, which is a 30-minute drive away. Got there and there were five other people queuing up to use it. Um, and then when I did get there, I got seven kilowatts out of it, so it took me ages. Um, so that was probably my worst experience, but mainly because I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and since then, I'm very much more relaxed. And people in the EV world talk about range angst. And my uh, contention nowadays is that the only people who have range angst is people who don't actually have an EV. Because once you've got one, it doesn't be, it's not an issue. It is absolutely not an issue. And you, you change your approach slightly, the way you plan your journeys and what you do. But um, there is never any, any concern about running out in the middle of nowhere. I want to go from the extreme of Tim, who literally installed a solar-powered EV charging hub in the work car park that he, that he works at, to a situation where locating a charger wasn't quite that easy. This is Neil Riddle from Power. Everyone's got a few worst experiences. Um, my worst is probably uh, the first struggle I had with a connected curb charger. Uh, and it was no fault of connected curb. It's just a fascinating story. I went to trial our integration with connected curb down to a site in central London. Um, and I couldn't find the charger. So much so that I got out of the car and went and looked everywhere I possibly could for this charger. Um, and I went around in circles. I looked in every corner of this, you know, slightly industrial car park estate area and I just couldn't find it. And eventually, when I found it, it was underneath a piece of builder's sheeting um, beside a fence, and it had been you know, carefully blocked off out of the way for some office refurbishment. Uh, so I went and had a chat with the, uh, the guy who was the supervisor for the site, and I said, listen, you know, there's, a, there's an EV charge point under there. And he goes, okay, great. I said, well, you know, I'd quite like just to test whether you know, this charge point works with our solution. And he goes, oh, well, you know, it's, it's not available for you. It's only available for the people who work in this office. Uh, so in the end, I um, I kind of pointed the other way and reached over and I pulled my card out of my pocket and I waved it against the charger. The light went blue. I knew that it had initiated, even though I couldn't plug the charge in. And I was like, thank you very much. See you later. And kind of scuttled off into the distance with the, the comfortable knowledge that the, at least the first part of our integration worked, um, but obviously had to then let the connected curve guys know that there was a rather officious uh, building supervisor who covered up the charge point with a piece of plastic, um, much like the connected curb charger that was used to hold open gates during the recent ceremonies in London. So, you know, those, those, those on-street chargers that are hidden away and people don't really know what they are, they're probably the hardest to manage, but they're also so powerful to help people get that charge when they live near that location. So, Gary, I have a slightly unusual best charging experience. Uh, my best charging experience happened in a car park in Reading on a Mer charge point. Um, and it's difficult for me to say whether it was the experience when we demonstrated the power worked for the first time, uh, pulling up at a charge point and being able to use a solution which you spent six months building to deliver the first electric vehicle charge into your car with technology that fundamentally you built from end to end is a pretty mind-blowing experience. But the, the second best experience, or maybe is the best experience, is demonstrating exactly that same experience, but without touching the app, without touching the phone, 
just pulling up, plugging in, and watching the car start the charging itself. So that has got to be my best experience is watching our own technology come to life and deliver hugely value-adding services. Finally, something of an outlier, but we had Tom Cheeswright on the show. Remember, he's the guy who built his own EV using a BMW Z4, some plug-in hybrid batteries, and a bit of ingenuity. Wait till you hear his story. So my charging experiences are fairly unusual because um, right now, my charge controller isn't actually hooked up. So the process of charging for me at home involves plugging in the charging cable, plugging, running a USB cable from my desktop PC to my car, uh, and sending CAN bus commands to start and stop charging uh, and control the rate of charging as well. Um, but that actually makes for quite a good charging experience relative to my worst, which was when I completely ran out of charge um, just around the corner from the house. Um, I didn't have a, um, a sort of you know, battery gauge hooked up at the time, uh, and I was being a bit ambitious about range. And so in order to charge that time, what I actually had to do was walk home, borrow my wife's car, load my spare batteries into her car, uh, and then at the side of the road, do a complete high-voltage battery swap um, in order to get home again, uh, and then manually top up the um, the degraded batteries at home with a little 60-volt charger. So yeah, best one is when it all works, CAN bus plays nicely, uh, and I can just sit watching YouTube videos in my workshop while the car charges. Uh, worst one is having to manually, physically swap the batteries over. <laughs> In summary, it seems that most of the best charging experiences have come as a result of arriving at chargers which were multi-unit, high-powered, and reliable. That's a big surprise. If I link back to the initial comment I made at the top of the show about the desire of CPOs who say, we're putting in charges as fast as we can, and we're trying to make it as positive a charging experience as we can, it seems that where they've done that, the experience has been as positive as they would like it to be, and where they haven't, that's where the problems start. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. We've talked about 3D printed houses before on this show. Back in episode 155, we had a 3D printed house made entirely out of recycled plastic. Well, the latest one that grabbed my attention was a house made of wood. Oh, uh, wood? Gary, a lot of airs is made of wood. Well, yes, but this one's different. What happens is that normally a wooded house would have joists, beams, cladding, and all the other things that wood is made into for building. But this is different. Waste wooden biomass is ground to sawdust and mixed with reinforcing and binding agents to create a composite material that can be fed through a 3D printer. The benefits are that you can design your house any way you like, Curves are no problem, sloping roofs are doddle. But the main benefit, apart from the ease of construction, is that you, if you don't like the house, you can pulp it and recycle the whole thing. Designs are usually printed off at a factory in several pieces and shipped to the site where they're constructed. This is big in the US state of Maine in New England, which has a rich tradition of uh, sawmills for paper. But with the decrease in the amount of paper, coupled with cheaper imports from abroad, the sawmills have been looking for things to do with the estimated 1,000 tonnes of residual biomass that's created every year. 3D houses would seem to be that solution. 
The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features, such as using ZapMap in-car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusing at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingTV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings. That's ko-fi.com slash evmusings. And you can do just that. Takes Apple Pay too. I have a couple of ebooks out there if you want to read something on your Kindle. So, you've got Electric, is available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an elite car. There, you've got Renewable. It's also available on Amazon for the same 99 pence, and it covers installing solar panels, a storage battery, and a heat pump. Why not check them both out? Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engine. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingCV with the words, the best and the worst. Hashtag, if you know, you know, nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder, Simon. You know, he's a big fan of Roxy Music and he was gutted to learn that a recent comeback tour was cancelled because of COVID. Even though he has all the albums, he still thinks that seeing them live would be fantastic. And now he's really disappointed. Yeah, I just couldn't understand it. Well, what's the problem? I said I missed my ferry. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.